Well, as we um, jump into the, the text here today, uh, last week, uh, Casey went through the text on Jesus' trial before Pilate, and Pilate's uh, wavering heart, and I originally planned to kind of backtrack into this, the previous text right before that, uh, but Casey really just, he did a fantastic job catching us up, uh, kind of up to speed in that section, uh, and into the trial of Jesus itself, and so Rather than kind of rehashing that today, I want to focus on a few of the specific statements that were made uh, by Jesus uh, in that previous section, uh, ones that have really kind of drawn my mind and, and my own heart um, into some places of comfort and strength um, as, as I and as, as we also today go through our own varying times of trial. Uh, so today I'm going to lean a little bit more heavily on kind of the expository side, kind of bringing out the, to the forefront of our minds and hearts some of these glorious truths that Jesus speaks to Pilate, um, and I'm hoping that for all of us, um, these bring us hope. Uh, these bring us um, anchors uh, to grab onto our hearts, um, to give us a firm footing on, on the solid foundation of Christ, uh, and that we would um, ultimately just find our hope and our peace uh, through some of the truths here that Jesus uh, has come to, to witness to us. Uh, so let me pray and um, thank the Lord for his word this morning, and then we'll be in uh, John chapter 18, uh, verses 33 to 38. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and patience towards us. We thank you that you are our hope, our strength, you're our joy. That in such uncertain times, both in our personal lives and in the world that we live in, we know that you are certain. You are strong. You're unmovable, unshakable. This is what gives us confidence and hope and eases our anxieties and fears and our worries. Because you are our shelter, our strong tower. You're our mighty fortress. And as we open up your word this morning, we need those truths to be driven into our hearts. We need those truths more and more. Every day that goes by, we need your truth more and more. So we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you for the witness of your word, your testimony. Help us to put our, our trust and our hope completely in your word and the promises that it contains. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 18, verse 33, says, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, this is what we're going to be focusing on today. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So when Pilate said to him, so you are a king, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king, 
for this purpose I was born, and that for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? So this phrase that we've heard quite a bit over the course of our lives as Christians, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would have been fighting. Now here in this story, we've already had Peter who takes up sword, whose kingdom clearly is of the world because he did exactly what Jesus just described. He was fighting so that he wouldn't be delivered over the Jews. So you've had Peter who takes up sword, fighting and defending in a way that the world does. You have Pilate who's indecisive and asks this question, what is truth, as if to insinuate maybe that maybe truth is fluid, like who, who, do you, who are you to declare what truth is? And he cowers into the demands of the majority. We have the religious leaders in the crowd who are crying out with bloodthirst, crucify him. They're wanting to be rid of this enemy of theirs that offends them. And here in the midst of all of this, we have Jesus. But as we saw last week, when Casey went through the text there, he opened not his mouth. But for the joy set before him, he endured all of it laying down his life even for his enemies because his kingdom is not of this world. Now, Christians all over have become more like the world in how we deal with the life that we have. And it's all across the spectrum. Uh, many Christians look and act more like Peter, uh, arrogant, pompous, kind of entitled, taken up sword for the fight and cause of Christ in a worldly way, lowering themselves to the tactics of the world and acting, as Paul says, acting merely human. They're just acting like humans. Or maybe like the Pharisees, crying out, crucify him, to anyone deemed to be their enemies. We see this on full display in our world. We call it cancel culture, which all sides partake in. We don't like something, we just cry out, crucify him. Or like Pilate, blending into the crowd's demands, questioning what truth really is, is kind of a, a way to escape accountability, washing his hands. And in the middle of all these yells and these screams and the swinging of swords, the accusations, the mockery, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, we'd be fighting. But for this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And we can think of the many kind of fights, so to speak, that we find ourselves tempted to be drawn into, fights that, uh, like for Peter, or the Pharisees, the Jews, or even men like Pilate, they're fights that threaten our preferred life, our beliefs, our faith, our comfort, our power, our sense of control. Because all of those men that I just mentioned, they fought in their own worldly way because they felt threatened. Something, or in this specific case, someone was threatening their belief system, their religion, their comfort, their control, their power. And for us, we find ourselves also lured into fights. When we find ourselves having our own beliefs or comforts or control threatened, and it could be some of the many things we've talked about over the last couple of years, things like politics or opinions or freedoms and rights or our faith being threatened, worldviews. But I also think of other types of fights that I've 
personally been finding myself in, the fight of grief and loss, sorrow, cancer, that enemy, death, death of those that I love. Now, none of these things from our beliefs, our faith, politics, opinions, worldviews, cancer, death, none of these things are, are small matters. None of those things are insignificant. And of all those things, from culture to cancer, all these things threaten us. They provoke us. They push us against the wall. They threaten our sense of control. But they only threaten us in this world. So I think of these words of Jesus and the hope that they bring me as the only hope that I have, that his kingdom is not of this world. This world and its politics, its power grabs, this world's promise of comfort and peace in this life, this world with all of its cancer and death and sorrow, the illusion that somehow we're actually in control. But no, Jesus says, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This world needs truth. I need truth. This whole week as I was preparing this sermon, I just, I just kept reminding myself, I kind of was just writing this sermon for, for me. I need truth right now. Truth that reminds me that this world is not my home. My kingdom, Joby's kingdom, it's been shaken. It's been shaken to the core. And I need Christ to bear witness to the truth. I want to show you a picture. Most of you guys have probably seen this picture before. That was two years ago, this past Wednesday, October 6th. It was 2019. It was our church's seven-year anniversary of when we've had our first little Bible study gathering at my home in San Marcos that would eventually become Life Mission Church. That was a day that I thought was going to be symbolic of this turning point within our church family up until that point, we'd gone through a lot of trials and challenges in previous years, many pains, many sorrows. But over the course of the many months leading up to that day, we had a lot of fruit that was being born and momentum that was building that was seeming to point to a new season. People were being saved. Marriages were being restored. There's spiritual growth and discipleship going on, and on that particular day, we would be baptizing more new believers, as well as announcing soon-to-be-ordained two new pastors. And so this was this incredible day that seemed like the top of a roller coaster about to launch us into this new season of adventure. And then the exact opposite happened. And that photo now has become more symbolic for me of the beginning of a season when our church would be brought through its toughest trials, a season that would become the absolute most 
challenging and depleting, exhausting and emptying season that I have ever been through, and it's still going on. Tragedy, stress, sorrow, pain, cancer, gossip, sadness, more cancer, division, death, miscarriages, depression, sin, disappointment, more death, more division, more death, more cancer, more death, and more division. And I left out a lot just now. It's been two years of perpetual nonstop grieving. I hardly begin to even process one tragedy before the next one comes upon us. For so many in this church family, our kingdoms have been shaken. But yet here in this story, as Jesus is being questioned, he's about to be beaten and mocked and go through the worst pain and suffering that he would ever go through, something that we could never imagine. And he looks Pilate in the eyes and he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And it reminds us of another great truth in the word from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Now we know that though our world and our kingdoms will be shaken, we know also that we've received a greater kingdom, one that cannot be shaken. And so we know that we can approach the hardships and persecutions and trials and the cultural and political shifts, the sufferings and losses and deaths. We can approach all of these things differently than those whose kingdom is of this world. I look back at these last two years just riddled with tragedy. It's not what I hoped for. Certainly not even close to resembling what I expected. And so I have a choice. I have a choice. I can fight as the world fights, letting my emotions carry me away. I can become self-entitled. I can sit around and mope and complain. I can get bitter and angry when things don't go the way I would like them to go. I can look for more comfort elsewhere or in things, other things that somehow I think are gonna bring me comfort. I can shake my fist at God or I can throw my hands up in the air. I can run. I can hide and head for the hills. I can go try to find some bubble to live in. I can look for the, the better life, the easier life, the better job, the better relationship, the better neighborhood or location where the grass is always greener. Thinking somehow I'm going to escape my enemy if I go do this or that. I'll escape hardship and then I'll be truly happy, truly free. I can self-medicate. Looking to sinful pleasures, substance abuse, drinking, drugs, pornography, entertainment, social media, binge watching television, just trying to escape reality. I can retreat into my kingdom. I can isolate. I can do things in my own wisdom, my own strength, forsake accountability and counsel from those around me that God put in my life and just do what I think is best. Or I can remind myself, his kingdom is not of this world. I can remind myself that God has saved me 
and he's made me a citizen of that kingdom. And he saved me and he sends me now as his ambassador in this very lost and very broken kingdom of darkness. He has put me here for a purpose. He has you where he has you for a purpose. In your circumstance that you find yourself in right now, as awful as it might be, your family situation with its tragedies, your financial situation and your, your work and your school, living in one of the most anti-God states in this union with a culture that's just completely spinning out of control. I mean, it's like Nineveh here, isn't it? I remember when we were going through Jonah a few years back, and as we were kind of going through and we're, the words describing Nineveh, I'm going, oh, oh, we're in Nineveh. <laughs> you know that years ago, and still to this day, uh, other African countries are starting to send missionaries to America. I remember on a few of my trips to Zambia, I would tell my friends, can you send some to California? Because we need them. Because it is like Nineveh here, and Nineveh needs truth. Nineveh needs Jonah's. And God has saved you and put you here to be an ambassador, not an ambassador of your kingdom, but an ambassador of his kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He has you in your exact life circumstances. With all the tragedies and hardships for a purpose. And everything happens for his purposes. And it won't be easy. He never promised it would be easy. He actually promised the opposite. I don't like how many things are going right now in my life. I don't like where our society is headed. I don't like the pressure that's rising against Christianity. I don't like that in the span of a month, my boys, or just teenagers, sat next to two people that they loved dearly after their life had left their bodies. I don't like seeing people walk from their faith or walk from their marriages or walk from their churches or walk from their friendships or walk from accountability. But what am I going to do? Am I going to walk too? Just because I don't like it? I mean, what am I going to do? I feel like Jesus asking Peter, you want to go too? Look, leaving marriages, leaving accountability, leaving relationships. You want, you want to go too? And all I can do is just remind myself of what Peter said. Where else am I going to go? You have the words to eternal life. So over these past two years, my kingdom has been greatly shaken. And yet, though I'm feeling the impact, starting to feel the impact of two years of tragedy, I 
also feel I've more fully realized the, the reality of what it means to live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. My solidarity in trusting the Lord's ways, his sovereignty, his control over my life and the world that I live in has been strengthened over these past two years somehow, tested, yes, very much so, but strengthened through that testing. And this passage reminds me, even as Jesus made it clear to Pilate, as Casey covered last week, Pilate might think he's in control. He says, you know, I've got the power to let you go. He's like, no, you don't. And Casey also pointed out last week that Jesus was flogged, and it didn't really make sense to flog him, but it was really just to fulfill the scriptures because God's the one that's actually in control. And over this time of two years, I've, I've been amazed at the way that God has not only sustained me as well as my, my family and worked in my heart, but he's also grown me and changed me, taught me and shaped me and strengthened me, grown me in, in his peace, in my faith, and even in joy, and strengthened my resolve to trust in his sovereignty and his control. I'm saying it's been easy or that it's always there, but I look back at the last two years and I've seen the Lord sanctifying me, transforming me, and I'm amazed because it doesn't make sense to me. The other day I was doing some, some tasks and I was feeling uh, just very overwhelmed, very depleted, um, just kind of empty, and this was even, this is before I even went out to Phoenix, before my dad passed away. But I was telling uh, Casey and Tyler uh, a few weeks ago that it's just so weird because I've, I've never felt so depleted in my life, this spent and exhausted and kind of ragged, and yet I also feel like I'm in just a, a really good place. It doesn't feel good. Feeling-wise, it's, it's, it's terrible. But there's something underneath that bad feeling, something that somehow keeps me strong in this kind of terrible weakness that I feel like I'm walking in. It's, and that thing beneath that just feels so much stronger than just feeling good. Feeling good is when everything's going well. It's easy to feel good when things are going well. But to actually be good when you don't feel good and when things aren't going well, that's something that only God can do. I don't feel good, but I am good. I'm worn thin, I'm empty, but somehow I'm full because I've just been clinging to him and he is all that I have. I remember one of the first conversations that I had with my dad after his diagnosis. He said, I don't want you to worry about me. But he said that he was worried about how this, his diagnosis would affect me because this was right away. Brittany was still with us. She hadn't even gone into the hospital yet. This was like, you know, the first or second day my dad got his diagnosis. And so he knew how much, though, at that point that our church was, was caring for the Radfords. And he was just concerned. He didn't know how I was going to be able to handle now this as well on top of that. And I said, Dad, don't, don't worry about me. I'm going to be okay because I know that the Lord has me. I know that he's called me into this. And I know that he'll provide. 
I told him that one of the things that God has provided me with is this amazing family, this amazing church family around me, people who love me and love my family, friends in my life, men in my life that check in with me who look out for me and my family. And he calmly and confidently said, okay, good. And he never brought it up again because he knew that was true. He knew it was true. And I look at our church family, and as I shared this a couple weeks ago, I'm awestruck with the strength in and through weakness, the devotion, the vulnerability, the family bond that God has given this church family. And as many have noted in these past couple months, that this is just not normal. This is not common. You might think it's common because this is your church, but this is not common. I mentioned before to you guys that others have asked, how, how did you do this? How did this happen? And, but I look at the last couple of years and I think nothing has gone to plan. These last years I'm going, nothing has gone to plan. And I'm kind of naturally a bit of a planner. I like to build things. I like to kind of strategize. I like to build ideas, design things. I kind of think far into the future, long term. Uh, back when we were at the movement, we'd always say that my brother was always like a speedboat, and I was more like an aircraft carrier. You know, I was just kind of slow and deliberate and long-term, whereas he would just kind of zip all over the place. But these past two years, there's been no grand plan. It's all just been taken one step at a time, jumping from one tragic event to the next. An aircraft carrier trying to be like a speedboat, but one that's leaking just doing all that we can to cling to Christ and depend on him with every quick turn of every tragedy. And so I have no helpful answers for those that ask me those questions. I have no formula. I, I couldn't put a workshop on, on how to do this. <laughs> I look back and I see how the Lord has worked and it's been him, it's been he who has been the one to bring about that kind of growth, that sanctification, that transformation, that discipleship. And I, I'm not saying that God has still been at work among us, transforming us, discipling us, maturing us, doing all these things despite the chaos of the last two years. I'm saying that God has done all of that through the chaos of the past two years. He's actually used those things as his tool of sanctification and transformation. So you can't create that. You can't artificially make that or, or do some kind of class or workshop because God is using suffering and hardship and trial to strip us, and he uses that to cause us to depend on him. It's something that only he could do. He's done it like we saw a couple weeks ago, just by making us weak, by breaking us, so that he alone could be the one to bind us up and cause us to learn that true dependence on his word and on prayer and on his people. We can have all the plans in the world, October 6, 2019, there were plans in my heart, church. There were plans in the hearts of the other elders. Plans on how we were going to build the church body, strengthen the church body, disciple and train. But as God's word even tells us in Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God is 
working something among us that is uniquely his, that cannot be produced artificially, can't be formulated or packaged, something that only happens when God's people are living out God's design faithfully and humbly, learning through trials, learning how to be the body of Christ, living out that Acts 2 mentality, how to live as if this world is not ours. Loving each other, pressing into each other, being devoted to one another, being vulnerable with one another, confessing sin to one another, submitting ourselves one to another, being patient with one another, and suffering with one another. He's doing something in us, in this church family, that simply could never be done by the most well-laid-out plans of man. And of course, the enemy hates this. He'll do whatever he can to steal, rob, and destroy. He'll bring along the, the Peters and the Pilots and the self-righteous religious folks or the pressures from the crowd to rob your joy, to steal your contentment, to entice your entitlement, to tickle your ears and your desires, to divide your heart, to draw you back into isolation and privacy, to make you promises of a better life by chasing other idols, chasing the wind of false promises. I mean, that was his tactic with Jesus, tempting him with great promises, but Jesus knew that his kingdom was not of this world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the same apostle John who wrote our gospel here, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, and all these comforts and things that we want, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, that's not from the Father, but that's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Your kingdom, the things that you deem to be most valuable to you, most important to you in your pursuit of happiness and contentment, you need Christ to bear witness to the truth because those things are passing away. Those things will not survive. Those things will lure you away from the kingdom of God. And those things also, they're going to be threatened in life. Those comforts, those pleasures, those preferences, they're going to be threatened. Your desire for happiness, your plans, they're going to be threatened in this life. So you need truth to be preached to you so that you can hold on to them with open hands. So going back to what Jesus said to Pilate here, he says, you say that I'm a king. Church, you say that Jesus is king, right? He's king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We need truth. And Christ came to bring us truth, truth that will help us keep in view that we are citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And as Jesus reminds us that we don't fight as the world fights, this should also remind us of another great we don't do as the world does verse that reminds us of a truth in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, speaking of those who've passed away. We don't want you to be informed that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. We don't grieve as those with no hope. Now here Paul is speaking specifically of grieving those that we've lost, but we can broaden that up a little bit because there are many types of losses that we encounter in this life. I'm just going back to that list I read earlier. Maybe it's politics or culture wars or comfort or control, as well as cancer, death, sorrows. These are all losses that we grieve. But we can look death and sickness and cancer in the eyes. Just as Jesus looked Pilate in the eyes. We can look at our culture self-destructing right in front of us. We can see the threats of persecution rising, but we can say, I have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken because his kingdom is not of this world. So I will not grieve as those who have no hope. I will grieve. I will grieve. And I do grieve. But not in the same way as those who have no hope. I will fight. I will fight but not in the same way that the world fights. The hope of our future resurrection, the hope we have in the resurrection of Christ, and the hope we have in the kingdom come. The kingdom is gonna come and renew this earth. Those are the truths we need. Now those truths do not make the sadness go away, doesn't make the pain or the suffering disappear, doesn't change the temporary situation that we find ourselves in, but it does shape it. It does add to it, it colors it, it flavors it, it gives us, us a different perspective, and it helps us to endure through it, standing in strength, standing in confidence, standing with peace and joy and patience, despite feeling empty despite being depleted. He walks us through all of it. So just to close, looking back at, again at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. So therefore, in light of all of this, in light of all this hope that we have, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so, Thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. Let's pray. Father, our hearts need moment by moment reminders. as we aim and try to take every thought captive, when we hear of more bad news, or we think of the people that we've lost, or we turn on the news, or we scroll our social media, and there's more and more bad news, 
We need moment-by-moment reminders that we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that your kingdom is not of this world, this fallen, dark world. We need your wisdom and how to live our lives in those moments to moment, day to day. How to grieve and how to fight, but not as the world does. We feel sorrow, we feel pain. We feel pressure mounting from all around. We need help. We need wisdom, humility, meekness. To stand firmly and boldly, not as the world does, but as you would, as you desire for us, your people. Help us to mourn and grieve. Help us to fight. And help us to do it in a way that has our eyes fixed on you, that honors you, and brings glory to your name. We do not do this perfectly whatsoever. So help us, Lord. Remind us, God, that your kingdom is not of this world. In Jesus' name, amen.